If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today at Horse Chats, we've got back Dr. Hayley Randall. Now, Hayley's been a regular guest before, and the last time she talked to us about horse welfare. And I just want to remind you about the podcast being brought to you by International Horse College. And the mission of International Horse College is to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers, and trainers. Have a look at the wide variety of horse courses now at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, I think today's chat's a little bit more about people welfare because we're going to talk to Hayley about interesting facts about COVID-19 and how it's affected horse owners. I'm sure that everyone that's a horse owner through COVID-19, the lockdowns and everything else is going to have their own stories. And I know I've got some, but I'm always really interested in the science-based research to know that there's a certain amount of people that have been surveyed and it's not just my short little world that I'm in. But Dr Hayley Randall and CSU have done quite a lot of research into this area. So Hayley, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, well, Hayley, I'm very interested in how it has affected. And as I said, I've, you know, I come across lots of horse owners and lots of different people and how it's affected them. But I'm interested, how did this research come about? Well, um, I was actually invited to um, be involved in this this research, which was really, really timely because it was something I wanted to do um, anyway. So um, a couple of UK-based researchers, um, David Marlin and um Jane Williams, who's from Hartbury, um, they they were putting together um, a questionnaire primarily for UK-based horse owners, um, but also covering some areas of, of the US, primarily uh, Canada. Um, and they asked if, if I would be interested in um, sort of helping by distributing also to um, Australia and, and New Zealand. So it, it was really timely. They're both people that I've worked with before. And in fact, Jane was one of my PhD students. So it's like the full circle, really. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where, where it all came came about. And it was really quite quickly as COVID was becoming a global phenomenon that it's become. So, so yeah. Okay. So the whole survey, interested that someone from UK, so I was going to say, is this an Australian research or it is worldwide? Where did the team actually get the information? Yeah, so um, it, it was a, a truly global project. So what, what we had is a specifically designed um, survey. So it was a very short survey designed to take no more than five minutes, really. Uh, the first step was to sort of make sure that in each country the wording was appropriate. So in Australia, you would have, you know, you talk about paddocks and yards. Um, in, in the UK, you would probably talk about stables and fields. And in the US, you talk about the barn and all of those sorts of things. So there was a fair bit of work on getting the, the wording correct to get the sort of appropriate answers. So what we did is we sent out a survey through the Survey Monkey system, and that went out through sort of most, you know, social, horsey social media platforms. So Facebook obviously was a was a big one, and then um, everybody who completed it or had any interest sort of snowballed it. So they shared it and, you know, shared it with friends and so on and through different social media um, and so on. And it 
Yeah, it went everywhere very quickly. <laughs> wow, well, a bit viral itself. Yeah, yeah. What what was the time frame then? You know, I mean, COVID's only sort of been here for a short while, so it must have been a fairly short time frame. And, and yeah, tell us about uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was um, really, really short. Um, so as COVID was sort of becoming recognised as a, as a global thing, survey was put together really quickly. And then, you know, as I said before, it was modified from different countries just in terms of the wording. The questions were actually the same. And then they were launched sort of um, in, a, in a sort of relatively short period of, of time, but not all at the same time, because obviously COVID was doing its thing differently at different times. So um, in Australia and New Zealand, it went live between the 30th of March and, and the 31st of March, and then it was out until about the 2nd and the 3rd of, of April. So for Australia, that was just when most states um, were actually reaching their their peak in wave one, as it turns out. Um, so, yeah, so the, the survey was going to sort of for five or so days um, in each of the different locations. Um, so, yeah, pretty representative time. <laughs> How many people did you actually get to fill in to complete the survey? Of course, people are pretty um, social when it comes to like things like that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, I think, I mean, that was part of the reason why we kept it short, to keep it doable. Um, so overall, we had, um, there were about 4,000 from the US, 6,000 from the UK. And for um, Australia, there were 700 or nearly 700 and just over 500 from New Zealand. So although the numbers for ANZ, you know, seem smaller, they, they are smaller, but proportionally speaking, that was actually really good numbers. Yeah, we have a smaller population as well. Yeah, yeah. And also much more rural and not, not so accessible. Mm. What did you find? You know, what were the main findings of the survey and how did it differ between the countries? Yeah, um, so the, the, the main things really um, that came out from all countries um, were that there was a lack of, or people felt that there was a lack of official guidance. They didn't know what the right thing or the wrong thing to do to do was, um, and they also didn't necessarily know where to look to for for guidance. Um, most people just took, "I'll be, a, 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 you know, I'll be a sensible approach," um, but it was that was quite a difficult sort of thing. And I think also that's a massive thing for looking forward to the future when um, other things like this happen. Um, the, the a lot of a lot there was a lot of concern about owners' ability to um, access their horses. Um, so people kind of worried that they wouldn't be able to see them at all, um, or even that if it's restricted access, would they have time to do things with their horses? Could they go every day? Could they go for the amount of time they needed to, and all of those sorts of things? And actually, when you look at the data, there was actually that was quite a reasonable thing to be worried about because there were a range of different restrictions um, that sort of facility owners um, impose, which could be anything from the number of times that you go or what times you go. Can you go the same times as the people who actually jointly care for your horse um, and all of those sorts of things, but also how long you could actually go for, because a lot of people, um, you know, particularly in a place like Australia, where your horse might be in a really big paddock, you might spend half of your allocated time actually finding your horse, never mind doing anything with them. Um, and also, you know, what you could and couldn't do if you're on a facility where you, you have access to resources like show jumps and things like that, 
then a lot of that stuff that involved being touched and carried was put out of bounds. Um, so, yeah, there, there are lots of things um, around the sort of access that other areas um, included sort of, you know, the ability to treat your horse. So it was quite interesting that there were a lot, a lot of horses, um, particularly for the, um, I mean, like this is a specific number for Australian New Zealand data set, then 77% of people said that their horse had some form of sort of issue, not mostly a medical issue that needed some form of treatment on a, on a difficult basis. So that could be anything from, you know, medication for your cushion horses um, or your horse needs to have stretches and do rehab, you know, on a very frequent basis. And if you couldn't get there or be there for long enough, you couldn't do that. Uh, I mean, I, I have lots of other examples of things where, for example, um, horses got injured and then the people couldn't get there to treat them. And, you know, lots of things around, around that. Um, the resources, that was another big area. And that was everything that varied from you know, access to feed supplies um, and forage. Now, that's a particular Australian thing, given the bushfires and the droughts and things that have already been impacting 2020 before COVID. Um, and also, you know, access to vets and farriers and other sort of practitioners. So for Australia, that wasn't so bad. But for New Zealand, um, at some point, the uh, farriers weren't classified as essential. So that caused a lot, a lot of concern with the um, New, um, New Zealand contingent. Um, and I mean, the other, the other sort of areas, um, sort of two other areas, I mean, there are loads of little areas, but sort of in summary, um, a lot of the people who have horses actually do, believe it or not, make money out of their horses. And um, if they have horses that they're preparing for competition to get their values up for sale, they couldn't do that. Um, were worried about horse fitness and therefore their longevity. Um, people who have horses often go to other properties and coach and teach and educate. They couldn't do that. Um, so, yeah, there, there were some big decisions actually being made around horses. And, you know, there were a number that were euthanized because people said that they couldn't look after them properly. Um, I, I sound extreme, but, you, yeah, you can see how it, how it could happen. Um, and the other sort of area that, that was really, I was, I hadn't really thought about, I was just sort of thinking science horse welfare, my usual train of thought, um, around actually how useful and how important the time spent with horses actually is. Yes, that's something that I just talking to other people and, and people that, um, you know, like I, I only know, as I said, I only know my little area, I suppose I, I do talk to a lot of people, but People that have been in lockdown but able to get out for exercise have been able to spend more time with their horse. Now, I don't know if that's going to be yeah. negative or positive in the overall, you know, because you've certainly, you know, well over 10,000, 11,000 people. But tell us more, you know, through those 11,000 people or 11,000 plus about that horse-human interaction and any related findings. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was surprised. Um, that how important it was to everybody, which is a really stupid thing for me to say because I know more than anybody how important it is that, you know, I can go outside and, you know, spend a little bit of time with my horses at each end of the day between, you know, between the day job and it just makes you feel good. Um, and um, 
but a lot of people, it was almost one of their first responses. I need to tell you how important time with my horses is. Um, so that actually, when you unpick that a bit, that relates to their physical health. So, you know, just the general moving around and sort of doing physical things. Uh, and that didn't always necessarily mean riding. It could just be, you know, walking to the paddock and, you know, shifting things around and, and so on. Uh, but also, obviously, the mental health side of it. Um, a lot of people felt that their mental health was very, uh, very compromised um, just due to the fact they couldn't spend as much time um, with, with their horses. So um, that, I mean, that was really, really interesting um, because a lot of people, I think, were feeling that it wasn't fair that they were being sort of had reduced access due to the facility owners putting that in place, although for obvious, you know, obviously really important reasons. But it's uh, the other thing I think that we kind of neglect um, is, or neglect to think about, is actually a lot of these people couldn't because they then had to do other things that they don't plan to do in their day. For example, homeschooling, um, looking after children and sort of taking on other roles because the rest of the world seems to have gone mad and, you know, that everybody's normal day was not a normal day anymore. So some people just couldn't get to their horses because they then had a whole load of kids to look after or, you know, that sort of thing. And I can honestly say, I know I'm here to talk about horses, but the most challenging thing for me has been the homeschooling thing. So, you know, we're not prepared for, for that. We're not teachers. I'm a lecturer. I'm not a school teacher. So, <laughs> you know, that had a direct impact on us. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I Because um, when I said about people welfare, I think the, that was the first thing that I thought of was the horse-human interaction. But was there anything there that was unexpected? Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry... If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats you know it was unexpected for you about that but anything else that you thought was more unexpected yeah there there were were a few things there were a lot of people who actually um they modified what they they do with their horses so although they weren't necessarily told don't do you know x y z they they decided that they would change their their practices and it wasn't just about you know being more um you know more hand washing and, and all of that sort of thing um but a lot of people said that actually they they avoided riding their young horses or horses that have just been backed and educated and so on and they also tended not to do things like jumping so those sort of higher risk um activities so it wasn't because they didn't have access to a show jumps on a, on a on a facility but they actually made a decision that they felt that that was too risky and that, you know just a not sensible thing um to do so when you unpick the data a little bit for for that the main reason that they gave for that was that it wasn't necessarily that they didn't want to hurt themselves and end up in hospital where they may get infections or anything 
but it was about they didn't want to do anything to sort of waste valuable resources. So, you know, all the hospital and the medics should be there to treat COVID-related things rather than, you know, some crazy horse person who's just fallen off the horse. So, I, you know, I, that was a nice finding because it just shows how nice people can be. So, um, But I didn't expect that. Well, it's responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, social responsibility, that's good, yeah. And what about people? Did anyone say, no, it doesn't affect me at all? You know, like I've talked to people who are on big properties that they don't talk to the rest of the world a lot of the time. Was there anyone within the survey or were there many that weren't particularly affected? I would say that there was probably, um, you know, not not a publishable statistic as such, but I would say there were about 15% of people um, in the Australian New Zealand um, sort of grouping that actually said that nothing had really changed because they were lucky enough to have their horses at home. Um, because I would say that proportionally, certainly in comparison with the UK, um, which is the place I know more more about, um, a lot more people actually are able to have their horses at home here. Um, but what was really, really nice about that was that they they were really, really kind of grateful for, for that, um, because in the questionnaire, it was basically a whole set of questions where it was sort of yes, no, type answers but the last question was an open answer which was you know is there anything else you'd like to share with us and tell us and so, and so many of the people that actually have their horses at home sort of wrote a sentence or two about there about how they were really grateful that they actually had their horses at home so they nothing changed for them and in fact for some of them even if the kids were at home they could still spend more more time with with their horses so they thought it was a very big positive so that was nice. You know, it was a nice thing about human nature that came out of all of this. Mm, mm. And and I'm sure that everyone listening, like everyone, is going to have their own view on the thing. But because you've surveyed so many people, just go over why I can understand why this research is so important. But for someone else who just says, oh, yeah, what does that mean? It doesn't affect me. Why is this kind of research so important? Um, I think it's important on lots of um, lots of different levels because, um Obviously, it's looking at what's happening in the in the here and here and now. And if you've got something that's being sort of looked at by some independent people, it gives you a different perspective than if you're just looking at your own situation. Um, so that means we can collect data and we can actually build up a, a sort of a database to look at how things pan out um, in in the future. Um, it, I think it also is particularly important because one of the things that it's shown up is everybody was sort of. Um, not really happy about the lack of official guidance so that's certainly a message that can go out for for future sort of cases of things like um like this um but also another you know another reason i think it's really really important is that you know the world seems to be getting smaller and smaller especially with social media and i think covid itself has really demonstrated that you know how things go pandemic and um i think we should share all of our information that, that we get. So by doing this on an international level, we can actually look at things that are common across the world and things that are slightly different for different areas and so on and come up with a more informed sort of decision-making process for, you know, for us for how to advise, you know, to cope with this sort of thing in, in the future. And, you know, the more data you've got out there, the more you can actually start making predictions about sort of, you know, scenarios, if you like. Um, so that when things happen, that you're more prepared. Yeah, yeah. Now, COVID's still around. 
you know, we've still got COVID, we've still got, what's coming next? Are you still doing any more research into this, any sort of follow-up research or what are you on to next? Yes, so the next the next step um, is round two of the survey and that's designed um, to check out the progress um, from the original. So the idea is that, that will go out at the end of the of the month. Um, so it's, it's you know, a set period of time on from when the first ones went out. Now, obviously, um, in Australia, we're looking like we're having a bit of a second wave thing going on. Um, so we just need to modify the... Well, we're not really going to change the questions too much because you won't have a direct comparison, but just make some of them um, a little bit more sort of looking back at what's happened over this period of time. And again, that will sort of confirm um, some of the previous concerns that they actually materialise. And and the other thing is um, that the different countries have actually managed um, COVID, you know, the, the whole sort of thing around COVID differently. So we should be see some, some trends come out um, from that. Um, and the other thing that's happened quite recently, because I've just done a few little talks, um, mostly at Charles Sturt Uni, um, we actually have people from different countries, for example, um, South Africa, who actually are really keen in on sort of having a survey done um, in their respective countries as well. So it, it, it's a sort of a longitudinal follow-up. So from the people who answered before hopefully can provide more info now, but also maybe expanding into different countries too. Um, the idea then is to publish, obviously, you know, we're, we're academic, so we have to publish um, stuff. So papers have been written. But to be honest, it's as important that the findings actually get out into the real world into industry to inform things that are going to make the lot of horses and horse owners, you know, more positive. Yes, yes. Now I can see that. Now, if people would like to get involved in this, you know, what's the best way? Is it through Facebook? Is there a particular place in Facebook they should go if they'd like to take part in the survey? And when did you say it was on? Towards the end of July? It's going to be towards the end of, of July, yeah. So um, it would probably be, I think we're going to start sending them out around about Probably in about a week's time, actually. So certainly uh, the last the last week of July. And I think the main thing is just for people to keep keep an eye on the sort of the local horse sites um, and so on. We don't actually have a specific place where it's sat um, at the moment. But if anybody wants to contact me directly uh, with with ideas and offers of distribution, then yeah, that would be fine. It'd be really good. Okay. What's the best way to contact you, Haley? Uh, yeah, so just email really. Um, so that's H. You've, you've got that anyway, haven't you? So it's- I've got it. H Randall at, at CSU. Yep, I, I can put that on your page, which will be, well, it's on all of them. So just go to horsechats.com and search for for Haley. Search for Randall. Um, you'll find that at the bottom of uh, each page of each of your ch- each of your chats. You'll find those details. This has yeah. been this yeah. has no, been that, really good. It. Yeah, I, I think lots of information here, Hayley, and and lots of very current. I've just got to, I, I'm just looking. I'll have to juggle our guests around because we've sort of got. I was going to um, put this chat up next month, but I'll see if I can juggle around and get you in before that last week of July, so that people can have the opportunity to um, to take part in the survey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be wonderful. <laughs> 
Okay, then. All right, look, <laughs> looking forward to the next round of research and um, just to see what's changed. Yep. And as I said, you know, my my view is fairly small and just what you've said here, I just think, oh, right, people are more affected here and here and here, you know, rather than just my, uh, my view. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, thank yeah. you. And um, looking forward to chatting again. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.